Here's session four. Peace I leave with you. Jesus offers peace to those who trust in him. Uh, we're still uh, in the upper room. The last lesson we had, Judas left, and Jesus made several statements about now is this time, and he's going to be glorified, and all that. This is a continuation of Jesus' teaching of the twelve. Well, I guess it's the eleven, because Judas is gone. And um, he's telling them that he's going to leave them with peace. Now, peace is one of those things that we all like. We all want peace. We like to live in peace. Um, but what is the difference between peace and a lack of conflict? Well, peace, you could have conflict, but somehow you've been able to have peace through the Lord through it. Okay. What's the difference? Most of us in here have lived through some part of the Cold War. There really wasn't any conflict, was there? Go ahead, Carl. Uh, peace is a fruit of the Spirit, so... Um, that's true. So it would be something that's given to us um, by God and couldn't have it any other way. Okay. So it's a God-given, it's a God-given thing. The absence of fear. Uh, the absence of fear. Okay. The absence Peace. of war. The absence of war. Well, that's see, and that's what's the, that's why I'm asking the difference between a lack of conflict and peace. Can you can you have no conflict with somebody? Can you live with no conflict and yet not have peace? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead, Joe. I've often said. Um, Peace at all costs is not true peace. Yes. Because someone just by keeping your mouth quiet and having to put up with something else does not bring about peace. That just reduces conflict. So a lack of conflict isn't necessarily peace. No. It's funny. The uh, the ancient Romans they had a saying that I meant to write down in Latin. Um, if I could say it to you, look intelligent. <laughs> if you want peace. Plan for war. That was the Romans' belief. That if you want peace, you need to be ready for war because you can't have peace without that. See, it's interesting that we, we talk about uh, a man who's gentle and mild and all that, um, but that's not really a great thing if he's not a man that's not violent. It's having that under control that you have that ability to do that. Otherwise, you're just somebody's slave. You're somebody's doormat. And there's the, there's the difference. That <coughs> lack of conflict isn't necessarily peace. And as somebody said, peace is it, it's a gift from God. It is a state that you can have even in conflict. <coughs> and that's what we're going to see as we look at this today. Jesus is going to offer peace. Now, but it's it's hard to listen to the peace if you're in conflict. That's true. It is hard, but it can. You can have it though. Um, as we look at this, 
we need to understand the Jew, ancient Jewish mentality of peace because when Jesus uses the word, this is going to be what the disciples are thinking through. Um, so generally, when a house was entered in that era, uh, a benediction of peace would be bestowed upon every person who stepped across the threshold. There were often these offerings of peace were often vain and empty expressions of compliment. Uh, they were utterances that proceeded from the lips even of an enemy. It was the expected greetings. And so telling somebody, peace be with you, or shalom, uh, that was didn't mean anything, really. Um, the world gives very largely when it gives compliments. There's always an ulterior objective in the world's generosity when it comes to that. Think about it. You greet somebody, somebody you hate and despise, you're still going to go through the pleasantries and niceties of, hey, how you doing? Do you really care? <laughs> in about an hour, you're going to go downstairs. You're going to meet all sorts of people, and they're all going to say, oh, how you doing? How, how was your week? And walk away from you. See, we go through those pleasantries, right? That's... The, the, it was, it's the same way with the Jews in Jesus' day that they would do this. It was customary to offer a benediction of, of peace. That is not what Jesus is going to be talking about as we look at this. So we have it in our world today. They had it in their world then. And we're going to uh, talk about this. I figure out what I do with my click. Oh, we'll be in John chapter 14, uh, verses 12 through 31. So you can get there if you haven't already. Uh, John 14, 12 through 21. Somebody go ahead and read this for us. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with, with you and, and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I, I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest him, manifest myself to him. Thank you. I'm a little long in this passage, but let's deal with a couple of things. I will not leave you as orphans. What's Jesus talking about? He'll send the Holy Spirit. Well, that's what he's going to do. Go ahead, Carl. He's just not going to leave and, you know, 
Hope you guys make it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're you're not you're you're not wrong. That that's he's not going to leave. It's funny the, in Judaism when the disciples would lose their rabbi, whether he died or was imprisoned. Uh, the disciples, because that their teacher, their their leader of their group, was gone. They were referred to as orphans. That the disciples were orphaned. And as uh, birds of prey, other rabbis would swoop down and try to gather up this person's disciples for themselves because, you know, the more followers you have, the more prestigious, you know, and all that that goes with it. Um, and so Jesus has been telling them. Now remember, they're in the upper room. They've done the foot washing. They've done the whole morsel thing and... I, and, and um, what's his name? Judas took it and has gone out and all that. And Jesus has been telling them, hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Now is the time. He's been tell, talking about it all evening. And he says, don't worry. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You're not going to be like the disciples of other rabbis. Um, that's not going to be the case. I'm going to, first of all, come back to you. But even then, I'm not leaving you by yourself. I'm going to send somebody. Which is unique. Uh, because other rabbis couldn't do that. Because uh, Jesus is dealing with this. So, this whole need for a comforter. Why? Why do we need a comforter? Life is hard. Life is hard. Go ahead. And Jesus promised us this kind of thing. Right, but, but why does he promise it? Why is this a big deal? We live in a troubled world. I'm sorry, couldn't hear you. We live in a troubled world. We live in a troubled world. He can be with us, with everyone, all the time. Mm -hmm. All these are true. But what has Jesus been telling them, teaching them? He's going to be crucified. He's going to be crucified. That's yes. But that they are going to have a job to do. Uh, to, to share his work. story. To share his story. There, there, there's going to be work. It's not just that he's going to die like other rabbis. Other rabbis die and the disciples disperse and they find somebody else to follow. And but Jesus, it doesn't end with him. See, with Jesus, he's been teaching them and training them to carry on after he goes. Most of the rabbis, that was it. You're dead. Now you go, you either find somebody else to follow or become a rabbi yourself and start your own little group. And usually, you know, the teaching of your, your rabbi will influence yours, but it becomes yours and, that, and that's it. Jesus says, no, no, no. I am not, my teaching doesn't die with me. This isn't done and over with. You're still going to be my disciples. And I'm going to send the comforter. I'm going to send one to help you. And you're going to need a comforter because life is hard. But it's going to even be harder for you. What does he tell them over and over again? The world hated me. It's going to hate you too. You're going to need a comforter, aren't you? Yeah, see, there's he's setting this up. They don't understand yet. He's telling them. And now we've got John recording what happened in hindsight looking at it. 
Where do we often find comfort? God's word. God's word? Trusted friend. Trusted friend. Go ahead. Knowing that this isn't everything. Knowing that this isn't everything, yeah. All the teachings that we've had, the, the explanations, we find comfort there. Where's the world find comfort? They don't. They don't. <laughs> they think they Where do they try to find comfort? Let's rephrase it. Money. Money. Drugs, sex, alcohol. Yeah. That's a pretty poor substitute, isn't it? They're all carnal. What makes our comfort different from the world's version of comfort? When we're talking about comfort, as Joe just pointed out, you know, they're looking for sex, drugs, rock and roll, whatever, you know, that, that versus what Jesus is offering when he talks about comfort. What's the, what's the comparison here between the two? Theirs is temporary, ours is forever. Okay. Temporary versus forever. What else? It gives us hope. Gives us hope. Yeah, there isn't any hope in, in money, is there? Banks crash, as we've seen in the last months. Alcohol wears off. Drugs quit working. What else? What else is different between these? God does things perfectly, or man doesn't. And God does things perfectly, yeah. that we're going to be given. <clears throat> still in section three of the outline for John. This is still part of the preparation in the instruction of the 12. And we're talking about the counselor, the one that will do the comforting. And we find out that believers, us, will do things like Jesus does. He said that you're going to do what I did, and even greater things, which I can't even imagine. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Jesus makes the statement, you're going to do what I've done, and even greater things, because I'm going to the Father. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Okay, who's raised somebody from the dead? Go on, admit it, right? No. But we're seeing things. What's greater than that? Seeing, yeah, going and seeing people's lives change completely. Have you ever done that? You witness to somebody and then they get saved. And maybe they were, I mean, that they were one of those, I mean, just, wow, that person got saved. And their whole life changed. Somebody who is so self-centered who becomes other-centered. That is greater than, than bringing somebody back from the dead. <laughs> seeing that. And that we have a part in that. That we help talk to, minister to, and bring that, yeah, things like that. Mm. Also, we are going to keep his commandments just like he keeps the fathers. That's interesting. We've been talking a lot about that, haven't we? That if we love him, we keep his commandments, right? He's the example. He does like the father. He follows what the father has told him. We're going to see that in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
where he submits to the will of the Father. Are we submitting to his will? He's given us his commandments. This is the interesting part. Jesus, it was just him. But we don't have to do it alone. Jesus had to choose to submit to the Father's will and go through all that's about to take place for him. But we don't have to do it alone. He has sent us a counselor, he says. And this is the interesting thing. That counselor is the spirit of truth, and we have him forever. Once you become a Christian, once you've chosen to believe and accept him, he gives us the spirit of truth. Why is that important? Go ahead, Cindy. Well, without it, we'd have no hope. We wouldn't know how to live. Yeah, without it, we'd have no hope, and we wouldn't know how to live. That's correct. What did Jesus come to do? Set us free. Well, that's what, that, that's what happened. But what did he come to do? Tell us the truth. He came to bear witness to the truth. Truth died because of sin. There was... The world lacked an understanding of truth. Christ came to set it all straight. Remember, he's, he's going to tell Pilate. We haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> but I know a bunch of you have been through the truth project. That he came for the purpose of verifying the truth. And so he sends to us a counselor who is called the spirit of truth. So we're given the truth. We have the truth in us. And that's where that hope comes from that Cindy was talking about. We have hope not because we've got this supernatural being living in some... People get all metaphysical about it. That's, that, that's not it. It's not all this metaphysical stuff. It's that we can discern truth now. We know truth because we have the spirit of truth and it speaks to us. Is that why it might sound silly, but we feel guilt if we do something wrong? Yes. Because we know internally we did something. That is one of the jobs that the Holy Spirit has, is to convict us. Because you're not living in truth. He's convicting you of the lie that you've been living. And you're like, ah, oh, man, I can't do that. It's powerful. Yeah, and well, sure, the truth is a very powerful tool. I mean, it's the power of salvation to realize that I am a sinner and I cannot leave this state by myself. It has to be done by Jesus and accepting that. That is powerful truth. <clears throat> totally. Yeah, because they say it's the truth that will set us free. Mm hmm It is, and it will. That's the counselor that he is going to send. Now, the disciples don't understand this yet. They're still hung up on... Uh, you know, Jesus, you're going to, you're, where are you going? And remember, he says, I'm going and you can't follow. And Peter's like, yeah, I, I'll follow even to death. And there's that whole argument. They're still hung up on that. And Jesus is like, no, no, I'm sending you, sending you somebody. Comment or question? All right, let's move on. John chapter 14, verses 22 through 26. Somebody read that. Judas, not Issachar, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, 
and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance of all that I have said to you. That is the essence of Christianity. If you could just take that and put it into yourself, the whole thing. I mean, it's, it's everything that Scripture has been trying to teach through all the characters in the Old Testament and everything. This is it. Keeping his commandments like he's kept the commandments. So here's the teacher. Jesus is the teacher. He is sending the counselor. And he's explained it. I mean, you can't get it any clearer than this. If you love Jesus, you obey. Because Jesus loved the Father, he obeyed. That's it. That, here's the example. Now go and do likewise. Right? We, we all want to make, we want it to be easy, right? That, there it is. There's the easy. And we talked about how many commandments are there? Eleven. Eleven. There are eleven commandments. Obey them. Follow them. It's simple, right? And here's the easy part. We don't have to do it on our own. He is sending the counselor to remind us. The counselor is coming to bring to remembrance all that he has taught for the disciples who were there with Jesus. And for us, as we go through our Bibles and sit in church and studies and Bible classes and whatever, all of that's pushing it into us, and the Holy Spirit will remind us, don't do that. That's contrary to, to Christ. And if you love him, you're going to obey him, right? You know that little voice somebody was just talking about. We start. See, this is why it's important that we're constantly taking in and studying that we never arrive because truth it, it just continues to grow the more you understand the more you know you don't know and understand and as I said we don't have to do it on our own this isn't about us see and this is where all too often I think we especially as modern Christians we, we want to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and so we start creating lists of, okay, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And we start, it becomes, that becomes our taskmaster. But the reality is, is if we're going through life looking to be like Jesus and live as he has told us to. Love one another that are not part of the brethren and then love the brethren as Jesus loved us. So love everyone like yourself. And love the brethren like Jesus loved us. If you do those two things, and you're going to love God automatically. That's how we love him, because that's obeying what he said, right? And we look at that, okay, if I do this, is it loving someone else? Is it being sacrificial love for somebody that's in the church, or am I being petty? Oh, yeah, no, no I can't do that. Ah, yeah, we start, we, have, we, we end up with that little fight in our souls. Yeah. But we don't have to do it on our own because the Holy Spirit's going to constantly remind us and keep us going. 
You cannot say you love Jesus and not obey him. This is a big problem in today's society, isn't it? We got a lot of churches out there that, well, we got to love other people, so we're not going to, we're, we're going to, we're going to put aside some of the things that God said that he hates and set them aside and, and we're going to uh, embrace them for, to love other people. It doesn't work that way, does it? You can still love other people and still hate the sins that he says he hates and confront people with them that that is sin. Doesn't mean that we have to be obnoxious about it. It doesn't mean that we have to be dogmatic about it. But we need to make that clear cut line. We cannot love the Father and not love Jesus and not obey Him. We can't claim to love the Father if we don't love Jesus. And we can't love Jesus if we're not obeying Him, can we? See how all that works? And yet we've got all these people, oh, well, you know, I love God and I, I, I don't need the church. And I can just go sit on a rock out in nature and navel gaze and meditate and, and it, I just love him and it's all good, right? But that's contrary to what we've been told and taught, right? We're supposed the brethren are supposed to not forsake gathering together. That we are to sharpen each other. And that the whole reason the world will know that we belong to God and Jesus is by loving one another, which we can't do if we're sitting on a rock in the middle of the woods by ourselves, can we? No, we got to get in there and get messy in a church with people that are imperfect and decide things that we don't like and have to work it out and do that. Because when the world sees that, you know what, we can get along even though we're not all alike and we don't have all the same tastes and all the same likes and dislikes and yet we can get along, the world looks like that is Wow, that's, that's amazing. I mean, just look at it. The world can't even get along. Even though we've built little communities that are all the same type of people, they still can't get along with each other, can they? Hmm. We cannot have the Spirit. We cannot have the Holy Spirit in us and not love the Father and not love Jesus and therefore not obey Him. That's His job, is to help us in remembering the truth that Jesus has taught so that we can do that which needs to be done. If we have the Spirit, He helps us obey by knowing the truth, which in turn causes us to love the Father, which comes from having loved the Son. See how all this, it just mixes together. We cannot separate them. We can't claim that we're in the Spirit and we have the Spirit and hate my brother. I can't claim that I'm in the Spirit and I dislike these people because they painted a mural with Adam and Eve having belly buttons. <laughs> you laugh, I know a church that that, that that was an issue. They painted a mural in the wall in the children's wing and Adam and Eve had belly buttons and it split the church. We can't do that kind of stuff. If the Spirit is in us, who is giving us truth and showing us truth and making us aware of truth, then we have to be aware, we have to love our brother. We have to love our neighbors. When even we disagree with them. And it's okay to disagree with them and still love them, isn't it? Jesus washed Judas's feet. That's the example, isn't it? Paul was Saul. And had many 
Christians killed before his conversion. And he's in heaven with them today and celebrating Jesus, isn't he? That's what it's about. That when the person who murdered you becomes a Christian and you accept it in heaven. Because that's where we're going to see that kind of peace. I mean, that's, that, that, that's hard to grasp, isn't it? But they were excited to see Paul enter in heaven. It isn't going to be, oh, man, here he comes. Man, do you know how many stones he threw at me? No. They're going to be, yes, yes, Paul. The work you did, it was amazing. It was wonderful. All because you killed me. That sounds so ridiculous, doesn't it, when I said that loud? But that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about, that we, Christ is going to forgive them hanging on the cross. They nailed him there. Father, forgive them. What? <laughs> no, no, Father, slay them. Make them feel pain a thousand times worse than whatever. That's the human way. Right. But that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in us, that we understand the truth of who Christ was and what he did so that we can love our brother and love our neighbor beyond the normal worldly sense. Put up a little bit of a doctrinal statement here. The Holy Spirit's presence in the Christian is the guarantee that God will bring the believer into the fullness of the stature of Christ. His job is to usher us into the Christ-likeness. The Holy Spirit's presence in the Christian is the guarantee. See, that's it. It's the guarantee. It's the promise. It's that hope Cindy likes to talk about. Mm -hmm. It's the hope that God will bring the believer into the fullness of the stature of Christ. We are going to be like him. Paul talks about that all the time, doesn't it? That we are, we are becoming like him. It's because we have the Spirit, the Spirit of truth in us so that we know and can discern truth. Romans 8, 9 through 11 fleshes this out. And Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, Paul takes this and explains it again. We see it here in John chapter 14 in verse 12. Truly, truly, this is so true, it's true. I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. He was fully God, fully man, and he did amazing works. We are just man. And with the aid of the Holy Spirit, we can love that unlovable person, or what we consider to be unlovable. That guy that, that's a little weird and has some strange beliefs, we can still love them. That's what the Holy Spirit offers us. And that's how we are becoming the fullness of the stature of Christ. Think about it. Jesus associated with everybody that the world at his time hated. Tax collectors. How many times? He got in trouble. Do you know who you're eating with? The woman that was, that was um, a prostitute who washed his feet with her hair. Do you not know who she is? Of course I know who she is. And she's repentant. Lepers. Who touches a leper? Blind people. The deaf. Over and over and over again. People that nobody in society wanted. He did. Because he already knew. 
we have that ability because we have that Holy Spirit in us who gives us the truth that we can see past what's there in front of us to what Christ wants us to understand about people. You ever have that happen? Mm. Any comment or question? Go ahead, Tom. Just in regards to this, I remember that uh, story that Corey Ted Boone uh, said she was in a, I don't know, it was a Bible study or something sometimes, and uh, there was a guy there who was in the uh, concentration camp that, that used to abuse him all the time, mm -hmm. and uh, he became a Christian. Being able to love that person as a brother. Yeah. He wanted to shake her hand. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that takes, now see, that's the Holy Spirit working in you. Because that's not human nature, is it? No, it's not. Go ahead, Cindy. That's why we have to have the trust to believe. Mm -hmm. or, or I guess it's the trust and the faith to believe because then we believe God's word. And then the Holy Spirit can guide us. But if we don't have that trust, you can't fake we it. can't do it. Can't fake it. No. Cannot. So how are the, these new ministers that don't believe in Christ then? You know, like, oh, they're just they're just doing it as a job. It's why they, they they I hate to say burnout because even good pastors that are godly burn out. I mean that's not, but that's they don't last long, or they become so liberal to the to the left with their beliefs that it's just pretty packaging. It's just leadership of a social club. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How does the guy that runs the uh, local golf club, the country club? Oh, they got a glad hand and all that. I mean, even business tycoons, you got to keep all those people under you happy and all that. And the world is capable of pulling it off, but uh, it takes its toll. Um, I mean, people still work for Trump, as obnoxious as he is, but, uh, you know, and people still follow uh, Biden. He, you know, I mean, there's, the, the, people are weird. <laughs> it's just the way it is. I, I can't explain how the world does it. But when you have somebody who really cares about their congregation, about their flock, their small group or whatever, people just do and they follow. And it's, it's a mutually uplifting experience. Oh, there we go. We're already there. John chapter 14, verses 27 through 31. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts not let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Peace I leave with you. I give it to you, and it's not as the world gives. He gives a comparison here. 
to this piece. So here's the piece. Not the piece of the world. What does the piece of the world look like? Success, money. Success, money. Chaos. Chaos? things that, that it comes down to control and that you have the control of your life which is interesting why would that be interesting because God's in control yeah it goes all the way back to the garden doesn't it we can take this all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 what does the snake offer Eve Control. You can be like God. You can know good and evil. You can make the decision yourself. You don't have to rely on God. <clears throat> the world's idea of peace is that, that I have control. Control of my life. Control of my destiny. Control of my money. Control of you know everything. That's peace. That's the world's embodiment of peace. Which is complete and total self-centered living, isn't it? I'm in control. Nobody, no, I don't need anything from anybody else. Well, I think about it. All those Buddhist Zen masters sitting on the sides of the mountains, what are they trying to gain? Peace. Through control of themselves. <clears throat> so that they can shed this world and ascend and merge with the universe. Right? But that's the very opposite of what Jesus is telling us. He's offering us peace from the Father through obedience to him. And we're going to be able to do it because he sent the Holy Spirit to be indwell in us. Because we can't do it. It's not about our control. It's actually, we have to give up our control, don't we, to have the peace that Jesus is offering. That's a scary thought, isn't it? I give up and submit everything I have to him. That's the call, isn't it? We sing about it. We talk about it. But that's, that's how we gain peace. Because we're not in control. We don't have to worry about it. It's crazy. It's contrary to everything the world teaches us. And this is why. Because peace isn't just a lack of aggression. Or something. Peace is a wholeness in a relationship with the Father. That's what we're being offered. That's what Jesus is giving to us. His death gives us a wholeness of relationship with the Father, just like He has. That's why He's the example. He has peace while being nailed to a cross because He's got a whole relationship with the Father. He knows and he understands. He knows the truth of what the Father is and what he is doing. And he says, this is what I'm giving to you. Submit to me. Obey me. Accept the Holy Spirit in. 
and let him control you and you will have peace. You will have a relationship with the Father that is whole. And it's going to be amazing. It was amazing for Christ as they nailed him to a cross, wasn't it? The problem is, is that we fear that because we start buying into the world's idea of peace of its control that I have over my destiny in my life. I don't want to be nailed to a cross. Anybody in here want to be nailed to a cross? No. I don't want to be without a job. I don't want to be poor and destitute. We're all terrified that's what God might ask of us, aren't we? When I was in college, um, the running joke among students was that they didn't want God to send them to like the deepest, darkest parts of Africa. That's, you know, don't, don't send me there. Anywhere else but there. Don't send me to, don't, don't send me to the jungles of Africa. But we, we all have something about that we don't want. God, don't send me. Don't do this to me. Don't do that. And then we have it for our children, too. And so we try to protect them. You know, I don't, I don't want my kids to, to, to be too far away. Or whatever. Go ahead, Carl. Like, don't send me to Korea. Yeah, don't send me to Korea. <laughs> yeah, that, that was my father's fear. He didn't want. He didn't want any of us to go to Korea. Uh, three of us went to Korea, <laughs> and then I went back as a missionary for 14 years. But that's because God's in charge, and He sees everything and knows everything, and the peace is resting in Him. Connection to the Father. Even in adversity, as Jesus has, is still peace. If we are in adversity and we are connected to the Father, we can have peace. We can be in great and dire pain, being nailed to the cross, and still have peace. Which the world says that's not possible. But as we look at Paul, as we look at Jesus, as we look at Peter, and all the martyrs that have come over the last 2,000 years... They have this peace of knowing that this is, that this is the will of God and that they're okay with it. It didn't mean that it wasn't painful. We live in a society that is very anti-pain, isn't it? Oh, I got a, I got a little pain. I'm going to take some Tylenol. That's a little more pain, so I'll take some ibuprofen. If it, if it gets really bad, I'll go see a doctor and he'll give me a shot of this or a shot of that or um, Oxycontin or whatever. We, we don't like pain, and we try to avoid it. But pain isn't, isn't the issue. It comes back to that trust in who God is. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't take drugs, either. But we can have the peace from God, even in those How does Jesus' behavior right now, as we're in where we're at in John chapter 14, how does Jesus' behavior, knowing that the cross is coming, demonstrate the peace he has from the Father? That he's still taking time to instruct his disciples and not like screaming out of fear. Yeah. He hasn't run out of the building terrified, has he? which I think would probably be most of it, if we knew what was going to happen next. No, he's saying, calmly, I mean, look at that in verse 31. Rise, let us go from here. He knows where he's going. Where's he gone? He's gone to Gethsemane, where he's going to be arrested. That's a peace from the Father. 
and knowing what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen, but knowing that the Father's in control. Knowing that this is his plan and that it's perfect. See, that's where the Holy Spirit comes in and gives us that confidence in the truth that it is perfect. That we can't do better. This is interesting. Peace is granted to us through the command of the Father to the Holy Spirit indwelling us at the request of Jesus to the Father. That's what peace is. Jesus prayed that the Father would send the Counselor and the Father commands the Holy Spirit to go and bring us truth. So peace is granted to us. It's something that's given to us. It's not something we can earn. It's not something that we can find. We can't study it up. It's granted to us sheerly by the command of the Father. He ordered it. This is the way it will be. Just as he spoke everything into existence into the universe, he said, let there be light. Boom, there was light. Right? That command to the Holy Spirit to indwell in us so that we can understand truth, so that we can have peace. It's commanded from the Father. Do you understand how strong this I give you peace is? And that we need to rest in it. Jesus asked the Father. He bothered God Almighty. Hey, Father, can you, can you, can you send the Holy Spirit so that my poor disciples, my poor followers can have some peace? And he says, go. Go give them peace. Go do the... That's amazing. He, that he cares enough. I mean, that's, that speaks volumes. As we understand this, Jesus cared enough to send the, the Holy Spirit. That the Father cared enough to make it a command, a divine command to go and bring us peace through the Counselor. So that we can understand and have truth and all that. So that we can submit. And we wonder why it's such a sin when we don't. When we take matters into our own hands instead of submitting to the Father. And we don't follow Christ. And we make the choice not to do what we're supposed to do. And yet he still loves us and still forgives us anyway. When we come back to him. Comments or questions? Go ahead, Carl. Uh, the Lord said he was troubled. He says, I think he said, when he was talking to somebody, he said, I'm troubled or something. Um, so it's not a lack of being troubled. Right. It's not a lack of being troubled. Um, no matter what you're going to be going through, but it's but it's that consistent following. It, yeah, the, the peace gives us the hope. It gives us the understanding of what is happening. We gain that. We don't understand all the, the ins and outs, but we understand it's because the Father's doing something. We suffer at the hands of others because the Father is doing something. We don't understand why, but because we know that and we know that it's true, we can have that peace. Yeah, and it doesn't make it less painful and it doesn't make it less awkward or less difficult. But it gives us, think about the poor non-believers that things happen to. 
they, they, don't, they have nothing to turn to. It's no wonder why they, they are so dramatically sad at funerals. They have no hope. We wonder why they're so dejected and everything. They have no hope. They look at our world and go, what's the point? The bank just collapses and takes my money. The government just taxes me into oblivion. Why should I bother? I'm never going to get anywhere. I'm poor. They want me to be poor. And so they don't even try because they have no hope. Cindy, you were going to say something. You have to remember, Jesus was fully man at this time, too. Mm -hmm. Because if he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have known what we're be going through right now. So, but he, yet he loved the Father. He had learned to love the Father so much that he put his total trust in him at that yeah. time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those weird things that we just don't understand because having been God and was still God, but becoming man... He had the, the lack of understanding as well that we had and had both natures simultaneously and had to deal with them. I, I cannot imagine what it, that would have been like for him because he had a perfect relationship with the Father. And yet then he was man and had to work his way through it because he had all the feelings and emotions and all the everything that goes through us, but he had to push those aside for what he knew to be the truth. Gonna, I don't know, it's kind of a little off the wall, but that's me. Um, I have a friend, kind of like what you're saying. Her name is Elisa. She was brought up in the church, but she kind of got away from the church, and I think she wants to find her way back. But she's having problems, and she was saying that she went to a Unitarian church, and I've never heard of this, and so this was in a text, and they were saying that, oh, she really liked the Unitarian church. They all seemed so nice, but the belief was so different. They don't believe in the Trinity, so she didn't believe in the Holy Spirit. They believe Jesus was man. And I'm reading this, and I'm like, this isn't Christianity. That, <laughs> and so this is new to me to learn about Unitarianism, but it's everything against mm -hmm. what the Bible teaches. It, it comes out says. of Gnosticism. That Gnostics believe that the world is evil and that all matter is evil, and therefore Jesus wasn't human. He was a spirit. He might have indwelled somebody at the time, but when that person died, he left, and he wasn't actually crucified. They, they've got a whole. There's a, yeah. There, there's I could spend years reading. There's a whole thing, and they they've been around since the time of John. So John, one of the reasons John writes the book of John and the book of Revelation and first, second, and third John is to deal with the Gnostics, and the Unitarian is just a the current embodiment of uh, the Gnostic belief that was at the time. Um, they, well, they took East, they took a lot of the Eastern, the Persian mysticism with um, the Greek philosophy and, and the teachings of, of the apostles and put it together to make uh, what became Gnosticism. It's an interesting study uh, that you can you can spend a lot of time reading about uh, who and what they are, and they are very much not Christians hmm. um, because they don't believe in the Trinity. They don't believe that Jesus. They deny Jesus's deity, which automatically makes you not Christian. I mean, Christian Christ is in the name. The, the idea is that he was God. You know, the, all that. But yeah. And he does. It comes right back to this. How can you have? I mean, how can you have this statement and have the peace if those things weren't true? It only works if those things are true. 
But they have their own gospels, even. They're, they're the Gnostic gospels. I think they're 34. Um, yeah. Have you ever seen, uh, just as a side, the, the movie um, The Da Vinci Code? Yes. Okay. That is written from the Gospel of Thomas, which is a Gnostic gospel. It is not one of the apostles. Uh, it was written, I think, like 100 years after the apostles were already dead. Um, it, it's written from that perspective on it, and it's a Gnostic gospel, and, that, and the whole Da Vinci Code and the uh, demons and whatever the second angels movie, and demons. Yeah, angels and demons. All of that, it, it comes from the Gnostic uh, uh, faith, which rejects the idea that Christ was deity and, and all of that. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, a couple of takeaways, and we'll call it a day. First, we have peace knowing that the Holy Spirit is with us. That in and of itself should bring peace to us. That we have God with us. He is in us and he is helping us and all of that. That should bring us peace. Secondly, we can understand God's truths and we can act on them because we have the Holy Spirit. We have the counselor. We have him in our lives we can recognize truth and be able to live it. And thirdly, we can demonstrate our love for God by our obedience to Him. I seem to be stressing that a lot these weeks, obedience. But that's what it's all about, isn't it? Even if we go all the way back to the very beginning of the Old Testament, it starts with a lack of obedience, doesn't it? Don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We as a people have not been able to obey God. <laughs> now we have that chance because we have the Holy Spirit in him. He himself is in us, enabling us to obey him and follow his commandments and live the way he wants us to live. Let's close in prayer. Father, I pray for your peace this week as we go through life. Life is going to be tough. It always is. And Lord... You've sent peace to us. You've given us the Holy Spirit. Let us embrace it this week that we can know your peace, even in the difficulties, even in through the pain, the trials, the trouble, the, the things that just seem to not be right. Lord, help us to have that quiet sense of knowing you're in control. Let us see the truth that is out there and cut through the lies that Satan is just spewing into our world through everything and everyone around us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.